Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And welcome back to the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner brought to you by Enterprise. And we've got the panel joining us today. Uh, well, two wonderful people and old mates, really. Brendan Telfer, uh, sports journalist and uh, wonderful broadcaster. Telf, how are you? Happy New Year. Uh, thank you, Garth. Yeah, yeah, it's... Um hasn't been the greatest of years when I think about it. I, I got COVID on Christmas Day, so I had COVID on the 1st of January. And then a couple of days ago, I had my khaki stolen from a local swimming pool, um, which uh, was an experience I don't, I don't want to go through again because I didn't have a spare, key, a spare set of keys. So I haven't got off to the greatest of years. It can only get better from here on in, I guess. Did they steal the car as well? No, they didn't, fortunately. Um, but it... Uh, it cost my insurance company four thousand uh, dollars to replace the car keys uh, under an emergency kind of situation, and uh, so it was. Yeah, it was quite a performance, I can tell you. But anyway, um, well, um, sounds yeah, like I'm still, you're, you're I'm still alive. It's a very expensive <laughs> car. You must be driving. You've always lived in the no, in the greatest of style, Tell. No, no, it wasn't actually. What happened is because of um, uh, I needed to, I didn't have a spare set of car keys, and the insurance company said if you can convince us this is an emergency, in other words, you've got personal items inside your car, which I did have, my wallet, to my cell phone, and other bits and pieces, we'll put this emergency um, locksmith uh, onto you. And so he drove his extraordinary experience. He drove three locksmiths arrived at my place um, at uh, six o'clock in the evening, and five and a half hours later. After a series of uh, emails between Germany and a factory in Russia, they were able to build me a new, uh, you know, press button key that opened my car and uh, worked as an ignition key as well. But it took them five hours. Three men parked in three different vans up my driveway. Extraordinary. And it sounds um, like they. Well, it sounds like they charge more than I do at Chapman Trip as well. So, so <laughs> yes, it's good to hear that right. people are yes. making money. What sort of car are you driving, Tell? Yeah. It was just a Volkswagen, uh, a V Dub, <laughs> and uh, and um, yes, that's right. It's about the only the only time in my life I've ever been charged more than a dentist or a lawyer was when I lost my car keys a couple of days ago. Anyway. Well, you you won't have an insurer paying your legal bills. Have we got Rod Latham with us as well? There, no, have we have? No, so no sign of Rob. We're supposed to be joined by Rod Latham. He's missing in action. The Academy of Funeral Services. Manager, no sign of uh, Rod Latham. He might be out doing some work. Who knows, Telf, but we've, we've got you. And uh, Telf, uh, are, you, are you watching the Australian Open and, and enjoying it? Oh, I am. It's, it's compelling. Um, uh, I love watching Grand Slams and major championships in golf, and there's eight of them, four golf and uh, four tennis majors, or Grand Slams as they call them. But this is really the only one that's on in prime time every night in the middle of January. And so, yes, I've watched uh, every prime time match of Nadal a few days ago. I thought it was very sad uh, watching this powerhouse of modern-day yeah. tennis 
reduced to well, almost a shadow uh, of the player that he was at his best and couldn't even put an unknown Australian away without an enormous struggle. And got beaten yesterday in that Murray match or the two matches of Murray's uh, have been even more extraordinary. I mean, I, I've never been a great fan of uh, Murray's because he's no. got this peculiar habit as so many of these tennis players have, yelling and screaming at somebody uh, every time he plays a bad shot as he bad mouths himself or his coach and this sort of self-flagellation. Um, but I really did, really wanted him to win the other day because I thought he was uh, finished as a tennis player, broken down bloke who'd had a new hip and could hardly walk. And here he was beating this 13th seed, Berrettini, and then this extraordinary match uh, against this Australian fellow um, the night before last. And so, yeah, I, I, I love this, both the men's and the women's tennis. It's just compelling. Yeah, it is. I, 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 and I think the thing that I've enjoyed about it, I mean, A, the timing of it is wonderful, as you say, and it starts, you know, New Zealand time into the late afternoon and then through the evening. But, but watching athletes, and you've, you know, you've watched athletes from all sorts of sports over many years and closely and with a keen, uh, you know, almost forensic interest. When you watch players like Nadal, I, I know that he was broken. And uh, in that, uh, you know, towards the end of the first set, he was injured and it looked like he wasn't going to carry on. But you watch players like Nadal and Murray and, and the courage that they show time and time again. It, it, it really is the mark of a true champion. And the fact that they can be two sets down, for example, they never seem to be out of a match. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, I suppose it just speaks wonder, does wonders of the human spirit. And then you see this in sport all the time. I can remember uh, my father telling me a story, it's probably well before your time, of an all black called Ryan Elveridge back in the 1950s. I think it was in the 1950s against the Lions. I know uh, the, the story. Was losing, and he had his head uh, just sort of lacerated by someone in a ruck, or, and he, he went off the field and they didn't have... Uh, replacements in those days and the All Blacks were down to, I think they lost someone else and they're down to 13 men and this bloke came back with his head bandaged uh, and against the odds uh, scored a try or something and, and led the All Blacks to a remarkable victory and again it was just I suppose an example of this, the human spirit can prevail over pain and anguish and uh, even your own sort of kind of mental depression in a time like that when you're feeling terrible because you're losing and you're injured um, and you see it, you see it in sport probably more so than most other areas. You know, maybe I don't know, maybe in battles, I suppose sometimes, and war stories that we hear. But uh, it's the great thing about sport, isn't it? And Murray was a good example of that. And Nadal, I mean, it was sad in some ways when when he was interviewed after that match. Um, Against the Australian, which he won, um, he was he, he was a very different person from the sort of angry guy that you see on the court as well. He was very softly spoken, very humble, um, yeah. and accepting very much his fate. You know that this is what happens in sport. You get to the top, but you can't stay there forever. And you try and you try and you try, but eventually, father time or the body or injuries takes their toll. And uh, this is what's happened to Nadal, and, and yet he. He's still going to continue. See, after he got beaten in the next match, he's still going to come back and he's going to try and win yet another French Open, I imagine, in three or four months. Um, and uh, you just wonder why these guys continue to play like that. I suppose um, is there nothing else in their lives? I suppose that's the other side of it. Why would you continue to play? He doesn't need the money. Uh, he doesn't have to work again for the rest of his life. Um, his body is broken down, but still they hang in there. 
Um, I don't quite understand that myself, but uh, I've never been to the top in sports, so I suppose that's probably why. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, the point that I was thinking about as you were reflecting is they don't need the money. That's the point, but they keep going. Your story about Ron Elbridge, I, I grew up on that. Dad used to dine out on it and, and tell me that... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah that's right, well, it was boys' own yeah. stuff. You know, he came on with his head bandaged and and scored the winning try or whatever. But I, but I, but it also reminded me of that great boys' own story of Bert Sutcliffe batting against South Africa in 1953. And, and you'll remember yeah, that story. He yeah. was hit by... Neil Adcock. Oh, Blair. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and had yeah, to go, had to go knew, off. And Sorry, you go. I, I knew I knew Bob Blair because he, he, I grew up in the Hutt Valley and he uh, played his club cricket for Upper Hutt and um, he had a sports wear shop somewhere around Lower Hutt or in Petoni. And so he was one of my heroes, Bob Blair, I mean, not, you know, because, partly because of that, but I, he was an express bowler. I think he was the fastest bowler in New Zealand cricket until someone like Gary Bartlett came along. And so he was one of my heroes growing up. And I remember getting his autograph one day. I went along to Fraser Park in Taita, where Upper Hutt were playing Taita in a senior club game. And I was about 12 or 13, and I came home and I showed Mum and Dad Bob Blair, Bob Blair's autograph in my autograph book. So, yeah, it was a well, sad and, story, wasn't it? But, well, it's an incredible story. And, and, and just for our listeners who don't know it, of course, uh, uh, Sutcliffe was hit by the, the South African uh, bowler, Neil Adcock, and uh, had to go off, came back on swathed in, in bandages, and then took to Hugh Tayfield, a spinner. Uh, and uh, when they lost the eighth wicket, of course, Bob Blair's uh, fiance had been killed in the Tangawai disaster mm, uh, in New Zealand. Exactly, they were, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were playing in South Africa. And of course, and I talked to Bert about this. Uh, he said that you know they started walking off when the ninth wicket fell because uh, Bob Blair was back at the hotel grieving, obviously, has just haven't got the news. Mm. And as they walked off, uh, the the crowd went silent, and out walked Bob Blair. And uh, and he and Sutcliffe batted together. Tayfield was hit for a number of sixes. It's an extraordinary story. Anyway, Brendan, the good news is Rod Latham is out of bed. Good morning, Rod. Good morning, Gareth. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Nice of you to join us. We're just Telf and I are just reminiscing uh, about matters uh, in the, in the deep dark past. But nice to have you with us, Rod. And uh, and and with you joining us, we can turn our attention a little bit to cricket. And of course, Tom playing over in the subcontinent, an area that he seems to absolutely love and uh, thrive in. It was a pretty thrilling game last night, and we're looking forward to tonight's match. Yeah, tonight's match should be good. It's um, obviously we we're one 0 down, but uh, I thought they showed uh, what they could do. You know, it's nice to see Michael Brace will do well and and uh, get us into a position where we possibly could have won it. But um, wasn't to be this time. But uh, I'm sure that'll give them plenty of confidence. Yeah, and Bracewell's innings was pretty special, wasn't it? I mean, it, well, it was extraordinary. Yeah, it was. I mean, he, he's always been able to hit the ball uh, a long distance, but. Um, you know, it's it's having the confidence to do it at that level, and you know he's relatively new to the to the team, and um, you know to to peel off an innings like that was uh, was pretty special, and you know special for him and and special for the team. And I suppose the focus for this side, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for them playing over in India, and then they have another. Uh, they return to Pakistan later in the year, and of course the World Cup in October, November in India, and and, and our our site starting. To turn towards that. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, October, I think, uh, is the World Cup in India. So this is just a, a taste of it. I know it's a little sh- short little tour with uh, three one days and I think it's three T20s. 
So um, short time there, but at least it'll give some of the players uh, who haven't been there before an opportunity to see what conditions are like and you know, what the, the grounds are like, what the crowds are like, uh, what the hotels are even like, and um, and learning to live in a another environment for a period of time. So, yeah, and that'll be a good opportunity for a lot of them. And, and Telf, just uh, I, I suppose the, the other thing from a cricketing point of view that I am incredibly excited about this season is the fact that in the not-too-distant future, uh, the England side, the Test side, join us for tests mm. at the Bay yeah. Oval in Mount Monganui and then another one at the Basin Reserve. That's going to be a great experience if they're, uh, if they're on form. Well, it will be, yeah. And uh, I think one thing that this Indian t- tour has shown, which perhaps surprised me a little, I thought that um, you know we would be absolutely m- massacred by the Indians on their conditions uh, at home, given the fact they seem to have uh, rediscovered their mojo in recent uh, times. And Kohli, I think, has come into the series with three centuries and in-, in recent innings against Sri Lanka. And here we were. Uh, almost with the New Zealand A team, and I think of the players who are missing, and it does, I suppose, indicate that there is real strength in New Zealand cricket now. You know, no Southie, no Bolt, no Henry, um, no Jamison, no Sodi, no Williamson. I mean, this is, these are five or six of our leading frontline players in I- any form of the game, including uh, ODIs. And to be taking on India, I thought we are just going to be absolutely slaughtered here. And I thought we did pretty well to confine them to 340-odd, including that uh, barrage of sixes coming from Gill at the end of the innings. And then to be six for 130, um, I thought, well, this is basically what was going to happen. We're going to just get smashed in these one dayers. And for that innings of Michael Bracewell's, I mean, uh, Rod will probably have a better idea, but I'm trying to think, has there ever been a better one-day innings than that with a bat by New Zealand? I'm thinking probably Brendan McCallum and one or two of his blistering innings uh, might have uh, matched it. But um, breaking down that innings of his guard, you know, he scored a boundary on average every three and a half balls in yeah. that innings of 140. So the depth in New Zealand cricket, which has always been an issue for us. I mean, we've always had two or three world-class players and you can go right back, I suppose, to the early days of Hadley and Crow and company. Um, But I I just think, you know, with so many of our leading players missing um, and to perform as well as that in India augurs well. And yes, I think it just heightens interest in this series against England with the McCallum factor, of course, very much at work as well. So bring on the Poms. Thanks, Brendan, and thanks, uh, Rod. I think the other greatest innings in one-day cricket, I think Tom Latham against India in Auckland. That's it from us in the uh, Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. Enjoy your weekend.